So here I am. And when I was a little boy, I wanted to become a magician. And what fascinated me about being a magician was doing the impossible, doing things that are not really possible and make them happen anyway. Now, today I stand in front of you not as a magician, but as a design researcher. But that has interesting parallels, because in design we are often concerned with things that are not yet exist and making like an illusion through design what would that be like in the future if we lived that way and the cool thing is we often get to build these things and show them to people and that's why i believe that design and research go together very well because then we can give these artifacts from the future to people and ask them what do you think would that be something you could imagine being in the future so my research is concerned with our body and how it understands the digital world. And I think that is a very important question, because when we look at how people interact today with the digital world, for many people it's really complicated. And when I've worked all day, I still have to go to the gym because I haven't done anything. It's very cognitive, very much oriented to thinking, and not about feeling at all, actually. And then when I look at people in the subway, on the bus, it's almost an addiction. You know, this, this scratching on the top of Twitter, hoping something new is coming, and then going to other sites, hoping for something new. And I don't like this addiction. I think part of the problem is that we focus in the interaction design very much on thinking on the head and not enough on the body. So the question is, how does our body understand the digital world? How can we make it fit better? Now, we can't really ask the body, but I think when we listen closely, it already tells us. Because we use everyday language metaphors that answer the question how the body understands the digital world. Let me give you some examples. When I say that I feel buried under email, you know what I mean. There's loads of emails, they're on top of me, I can't move, I can't breathe, it's a terrible feeling. It's a metaphor, but it's totally clear. The same goes for data mining. It's a very good metaphor because we imagine, okay, there's lots of data, there's some good stuff in there, and it's hard work to go through it and get it out. My favorite metaphor is actually, my hard disk is not big enough. My hard disk is about this size, and I think all your hard disks are the same size, they're small boxes, but that's not what we mean. We mean something else because I think what's behind is that our body understands information as something physical which can be thick and heavy and everything. Now, it's part of my job to build prototypes that take this kind of literally, actually. Let me show you the shape-changing mobile phone, which gets thicker when there's more content inside and thinner when there's less content inside. <laughs> Here it is. So, just as I promised, it gets thicker and thinner. That's a really simple prototype, but people usually get it. Oh, more information, less information. Okay, it can be thin in the pocket, it can be zip, thick, leaning towards you, adjust to the way you hold it when you hold it in your hands. But often we use these small devices for big chunks of information, maps and PDFs and websites. In these cases, there's a lot of off-screen content, stuff we can't see. I think that's a good opportunity to give us a feeling for how much off-screen content there is. In this case, on the top left, I can feel, oh, the phone is thicker over there, there's much content. I think of downloading an ebook, and oh, you feel it's there, basically. So that's one metaphor. 
Another thing our hands are really sensitive to actually is weight. We can really feel like this thing here that has a good center of gravity right in the middle, I would say. But what if we felt through the center of gravity of a thing where there's more information inside of it? We also tried that, and that is the weight shifting mobile. Imagine the battery and the device being shifted around in the case, from the left to the right, from the front to the back. And that is something we can feel very well, actually, off-center weight. So in this case, you can not only see it, you can also feel the information. It doesn't make really sense because you can see it better than you would be able to feel it. However, there are some situations when we don't want to look at the device or can't, like in navigation. So for example, through the position of the weight, the phone could guide me through the city and tell me, oh, make a left here, go ahead, make a right there. It's like a, like a divining rod or like a pulling dog. It's like guiding you through the city and you have your eyes free and don't have to look at the device, which we tend to do today, actually. Okay, that's my job. And it goes on like that now. Another thing we um, usually do in interface design is make it as, as smooth as possible, easy. But whatever we want to feel needs to resist us in some way. Everything we perceive is there because it resists us. So we wanted to build a touchscreen interaction device, which is a pen, that allows to simulate different surfaces or frictional properties. So the pen has a rolling tip, and we can stop that tip from rolling. So we can increase the friction on the surface. So for example, on a news website or on your Facebook timeline, you would literally have to, oh, you would be stopped by it, by going by news that are more important than others. And you would feel, oh, this, is, this seems to be important because ah, you kind of, ah. or when you, when you sign a contract online, you could uh, maybe feel how much money you're spending. Like this is, this is really, that wasn't much. Like that was like the 99 cent. But this one, oh, you really have to work your signature. Ah. Oh my God. <laughs> the next one is the kind of the, the obvious one that's uh, like guidelines and layout software there. We call them magnetic. We can make them really click. Helping people learn writing and so on. Like when you have the prototype, like the, the ideas just come, of course, because you're, oh, you could do this with that. And it's fun. So the second metaphor I would like to talk about is how we talk about information consumption. Any ideas? Hmm? We speak of things like the information diet. You see where I'm getting with this. Eye candy, which is a really interesting term. It's something about seeing and something about candy. And we use it for well, nice but not necessary stuff. Um, food for thought is a really interesting concept. Also the bookworm that eats through the book. And maybe that's hard to swallow, but we use food metaphors for information consumption when we speak about it. And that's historically very interesting because if you look at how our eating culture has developed, think of the 1990s fast food explosion. Food, ubiquitously available, very sweet and fatty, aggressively marketed, fake individuality, I would say. And like after half an hour, you're hungry again. That's like the, the illusion breaks down then. But then more selective approaches came up, like vegan eating or maybe uh, slow food now, aware approaches to food consumption. Um, 
And also like splitting up ingredients over different times, like a low-carb diet. You don't eat carbohydrates in the evening because it makes you fat. So maybe with information consumption, we're in the fast food time right now. It's ubiquitously available. Always you can have interesting stuff, pseudo-interesting stuff. But after half an hour, you check it again. Maybe we need also there more of what's like vegan eating or the low-carb diet, but for information consumption, maybe slow information or something. That would be interesting. But that's not the, the most exciting metaphor, I think. The most exciting one is how we speak about our devices. Who has a device? Everybody has a device. And we talk about them in a certain way, I would say. My phone is almost dead, as if it was alive before, which it wasn't. I heard that the, there was a Swedish term for a mobile phone, which is like teddy bear. Is that right? Lame or something? Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, or the smartphone. That is a metaphor, of course, but it's so ubiquitous because it acts like intelligent. We call it intelligent. But the smartest thing on the planet is us, by far, and that's good. Not the phone. I'm not sure about you, but sometimes I have the feeling that my computer really hates me, which is my explanation, my body's explanation for why it crashes when I didn't save my work. It must be done. I'm doing that on purpose, basically, because the relationship is maybe disturbed. I don't know. So I think behind that is the like body explanation of what this is, and it's a social being, and we treat it like that. I'm not saying this is totally wrong. It is totally wrong, but we, it's a good explanation. Now, we also built some prototypes for that, and I would like to show you the living mobile phone. So this one lives in your pocket and has a heartbeat and a breathing motion. Hmm, here it is. Okay, it's calm and relaxed right now. That means no missed calls, no text messages, no whatever. Oh, missed call, and the phone gets excited. So, and that's what we instantly feel. And the idea is how to calm it down again. Oh, that's, yeah, there it is. You scratch it, and ah, oh, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's interesting. People instantly get it, because we are just made for that social beings. And some people really think it's cute. Oh, I want to touch it. But some people say, oh, that's a bit too much, actually. That's too... I don't want that so close. Hmm. Um, I don't know. In the follow-up project, we looked at body language. Body language is something we humans really good. I can be like, like open. I can be skeptical. I don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about it. We just do it all the time. And that's great. The bad thing is, Technology is really bad at body language. So when there's a mobile phone and you extend your hand to it, it doesn't do anything. So what can we do? Well, we could build a mobile phone that, like when you extend your hand to it, reacts. And like maybe it's curious. We use body language for this relationship stuff. Curiosity, shy, maybe scared of your hand. Let's see. Okay. So maybe you didn't check your phone for a while, and then it's curious, it's happy to see you, it's coming towards you, and it's a positive reaction. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? How it tells a story. So maybe you checked your phone five minutes ago. Then it would notice you, but not be overexcited, maybe. Hmm. You again. Like <laughs> and the next one is, like you checked it, five times in the last minute. Maybe it's scared or annoyed of you. 
Now that raises some questions, doesn't it? Do we want that? Another thing we humans do um, like intuitively is we have different spheres around ourselves. There's a public sphere, then there's a personal private sphere, and then there's an intimate sphere. And when somebody like invades that space, we, ooh, we go like that. So maybe a mobile phone could have the same thing when it has body language, like around its own body, like a very intimate sphere where only its user is allowed to go, recognizing the user when it enters it. Maybe even the speed of entering it. So it's skeptical first, and if you go slowly enough, ah, it changes its mind, so to speak. Reuniting. Oh. So that raises some questions, doesn't it? Do we want technology that has an opinion of us that doesn't want to be used at some point? Or should it like obey every command that we give it? I don't know. Ah. <laughs> It's fun to explore this stuff. Okay. Um, and it also raises some bigger questions, I think. And that is, first of all, what do we want the relationship of technology and humans to be? Do we want to meld them together? Or do we want to like to draw a clear line? Technology, human, and not, not crossing this border. Secondly, do we really want to understand our lives as a computer program? Status update, status update. That's the programmer's thinking, status updates. And I don't think that's good. I think we should start living moments again without documenting them. Because when we document it, like, the, oh, beautiful sunset, very romantic. Let's get the camera out. No, that's, ah, it destroys the moment. And also, I think forgetting is a really good thing. And thirdly, um, oh, actually, the, the metaphor that's lurking there is that Humans are like computers, and I don't think that's a good metaphor. So the third thing is, um, there are moments of, I know that myself very well, when I'm bored, when I'm lonely, when I feel weak, I tend to get into the pocket and get the phone out, because I want to kill these moments, and we tend to do that. We tend to kill moments of solitude, weakness, and boredom instantly. And I don't think that's also a good thing because we lose the ability f to focus on ourselves and develop ourselves further. Reflection is painful and I think we have to go through it and not escape into communication. It's tempting. It's, oh, I feel very much tempting. But I, think don't, I don't think it's a good thing because my fear is that we, at least psychologically, turn into a kind of Darth Vader, unable to exist without the machine that's become part of him. But we can. And I think with all these future possibilities of brain-computer interfaces, which are very... I mean, technology is getting closer. Um, but I think that in the end, we should not turn into a machine or into a computer, but remain human. Thank you. Thank you.